Welcome back, guys. This is another episode of Revolution Talk. I have not done an episode for about a year now, and I wanted to come back and um, and have a special guest with me. And um, she's a revolutionary individual, and her name is Ajani. Hello, my name's Ajani. <laughs> and today, Ajani, I see you wearing uh, you're wearing a shirt. You're wearing a very symbolic shirt. Yes. Yes, this is the Che shirt, um, who was a revolutionary himself, and I got it from my mother, who is an inspiration for me, who's basically made me the woman I am today. And so when you say she's a, she was an inspiration for you, like, you know, we, we don't, the audience, myself, we don't really, mm-hmm. we don't really know you too well. So, you know, I see a young, a young sister like yourself, you know, you're 20 years old and you're wearing a, a revolutionary icon like that, you know, how did your mother um, kind of influence you? Um, well, I guess first by starters, um, my mom was the first in her family to go to college. So um, her being a first generation kind of opened up her eyes to what she wanted her child to have a great future of. Um, so for her, that was a big milestone. And for me, it made me have like an extreme passion for education and being educated in all realms of the world, not just textbooks. Um, so she kind of just taught me from an early age that being educated and being knowledgeable is really important so you, that you can understand multiple people that you meet in this world because there's a lot of us that come from different walks of life um and so yeah so when she went to college she was in sf she was a business major um she was just living her life and she realized business was not for her she was really bored as she says Mm. um it was just boring for her so she wanted to do something challenging which i like to do i like to do challenging things Um, And she decided to go to law school in New York and Mm. move out there, providing for herself. Um, My grandma at the time um, wasn't the most financially, like, well-off person. So my mom had to take out a lot of loans and she had to work um, full time from high school to college and all that. So she became a really strong, independent woman and she went to New York by herself. I don't think she knew many people besides some friends from her Um, religious practice Um, and yeah so she went out there she got her law degree as a Latina in the early 90s Mm. and um, she did great out there and then when she took her bar exam she was actually pregnant with me Wow! and she passed the second time and when that's when she was pregnant with me and so I want to thank her because that's probably why I'm very smart because she was doing that rigorous test that's really hard with a baby inside of her. That's incredible. Yeah. Wow. So, before you were even born and while you were conceived, your mother was uh, getting ready to become a lawyer. Yeah. So, she was getting ready to become a lawyer um, when she was in, like, figuring all her life out. Like, she wasn't expecting me at all. I was unexpected, unplanned for. Um, she actually didn't want to tell my dad that, like, mm. she was going to have me because... Another story is that when my mom had me, she was in Japan teaching students English. Wow. Um, so she found out she's pregnant in Japan, and she actually had to hide it for a long time. So she, like, had to eat sushi and, like, low-key, like, take sips of alcohol because in Japan, it's, like, really taboo to be, like, pregnant and be out in public. Um, so that. when her belly did come, she would, like, always get stared at and all that stuff. But I was almost conceived in Japan, um, which is crazy, but... 
she ended up did telling my dad and he moved out there and they lived together in Japan and then right before I was born they moved back to the states and so I was conceived in Stockton, California. Interesting. Mm-hmm. So at this point, once you're conceived, your mother is already a lawyer. Yeah, she just got, she just like took her test and is basically getting her bar exam. So oh, she just got a test and she's getting her bar exam. Um, and she decided to be a cr- prosecutor in Stockton. Um, and then after a couple years of being a prosecutor, it wasn't for her. And she moved to Oakland and decided to um, eventually, after a couple of years, open up her own law firm where she was a criminal defense attorney and she did um, child custody and divorce. Incredible. Incredible. So yourself growing up in this household of a very intelligent woman, a very educated woman, <clears throat> in a position not a lot of people of color uh, hold. Yes, um, exactly. So like just having your mom be a lawyer as a... Latina woman is honestly crazy and is like a feature I hope that future generations will have. You know, it's crazy being in that household. Also, to mention, my parents are separated, so I did live with my dad 50% of the time in um, two households. And um, just being, like, she was doing so much at the time. You know, she was starting her business, moving to Oakland, meeting people, trying to grow her business, getting a lot. I remember in the beginning, because she didn't have, like, a lot from, she worked inside of somebody's office. Um, she would do a lot of like pro bono just to kind of get her name out there and she she would win a lot of cases you know she did a really good job and she really built a name for herself because now her husband and her have a law firm together and he does the same thing and now she does even more bigger cases but it was just like she just she saw a lot of stuff being a criminal divorce and family attorney that she knew what to watch out for for me because she didn't want me to be I guess growing up in what she was seeing because that was her job so what all of this Johnny what did this we're talking about your mom what did this do for Johnny growing up um I feel like for me it made me very strong-headed and very independent and very courageous I would say um like just being seeing a strong woman as a woman that's brown in a society that women women in general are constantly looked down upon on top of being a brown woman it was it was just really encouraging I didn't see it honestly until I got older and I think now I'm more grateful for it than I was when I was younger which is kind of just in general with life but mm-hmm. I think realizing at a at 20 that she did so much for me and like made me who I am today was like really like revolutionary in a way for women and Latina women and just kind of being a single mother and having to have a job and do all that stuff it kind of just made me appreciative for people in life that go through struggles because it's not easy and I think also knowing that my mom was a lawyer and we did eventually become very financially stable and you know we lived life comfortably and I know that a lot of people don't have that luxury of living life comfortably it made me like aware that there was more in the world than just the life you live in Hmm. that that makes me think of something because a lot of times when we grow up affluent or middle class um, sometimes we forget about um, specifically I shouldn't say just this country and all of quote unquote Latin America our people struggle 
right? And ex- in this country as well, right? Um, economically, um, culturally, um, many different aspects. Uh, they they're su- they suffer a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, they're kind of seen as the new uh, savages, I guess. Savages, or even just uh, you know, they're just used for. As labor, mm-hmm. cheap labor. You know, that's typically how it's seen in this country, right? You go anywhere from Boston to Florida to Miami to California, who are, who's doing all the difficult jobs? Yeah, right? exactly. Um, and that's because uh, we're seen as cheap labor. But in your yeah. case, you kind of said, it doesn't matter if I'm growing, growing up this particular way, I want to still, or you still have a passion to try to help um, our people who are struggling. Yeah, definitely. I think because I grew up in that way, instead of being the typical person that's just like, oh, that sucks, I'm not poor, or I don't have a daily struggle of, you know, having a place to sleep or having food, I realized that why would I want to shame somebody for that when that's not their fault? You know, we live in a society that thinks that's okay, and that really disgusts me, you know? I think part of being... Um, when I was little, I, I'm an only child, so part of being an only child, we, I was able to travel a lot, mm. and traveling at a young age really showed me that there was a world beyond the United States, and a lot of people, I think, don't have that privilege mm. of traveling, and because you don't get to travel, you don't get to see what's really happening outside of the United States, and when you don't see what's happening, you just believe all the BS that people tell you in the States, so it's kind of like you have this like misconception of what's really happening, And because I was able to physically travel to these places um, of multiple countries that many people probably dream of going, I was learning that all about all the different cultures and about all the different lifestyles and about things that you don't get to see and you don't that are like that the world is bigger than the United States. And, you know, I think people in the United States think that we're like the center of attention and it's like we're really not. And I. I realized at a young age that we're, we don't, you don't need to be obsessed with yourself. You, to be a strong, loving person, you need to be empathetic, and you need to show that you care about others. Because um, when you care about others, you're receiving good energy, and that comes back to you. So you do feel good about yourself, you know? It's not just about only feeling good about yourself, and that's it. So I think... There, uh, not to mention my mom is, like, obsessed with staying in hostels and, like, staying, like, in places that aren't, like five-star hotels like yeah we have the means to do that but why do that when you're in this beautiful place when that's not really how they live you know Mm. so she really made sure not to shun me out from the realities of the world and I think that's the difference that a lot of parents try to keep their kids so hidden from the real world so that when but then when you go to the real world when you're finally 18 you're like oh my god you're scared and you can't live your life in fear so I think knowing that from early age that you, you shouldn't be scared. It's, it's a learning opportunity um, shaped me to be like not fearful and to be just courageous. Nice. So yeah. Uh, before we go any further, I want to give a quick plug to the Veg Hub here in Oakland on uh, Mac- MacArthur Macar- Boulevard. MacArthur. Uh, it's the best vegan restaurant in Oakland. Come check it out, you guys, if you get a chance. Uh, good food, good people. Uh, good prices. So, veg Hub. All right. And this is what we're actually recording today is in the Veg Hub. <laughs> All right. So um, back to you. So yeah. you traveled at a young age. They kind of opened your eyes, kind of helped you expand your mind. Mm-hmm. 
That reminds me of Jay when he traveled through uh, South America with his good friend when he was really young, and it kind of opened his mind to the indigenous peoples and their suffering, right? And it kind of led to a path of, uh, an, a path basically of, of revolution, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Um, because that's what traveling can do if you let it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. It. And it seems like that's, you let it. Mm-hmm. Um, I do want to go into some, uh, well, let me go into this first. At what point do you think, like, it hit you, like, there needs to be a radical change? When do you think that hit? When I, when I say radical change, I mean uh, socially, politically, mm-hmm. uh, especially in this country. When did, that, when did that hit you? I think that hit me my sophomore year of high school, which was really young for, I think, like a lot of people. Um, but I think growing up in Oakland definitely helped me realize there needed to be radical, radical change, um, you know, just driving and seeing the homelessness um, and the poverty and the lack of support for a community that's really strong. Um, so I think in so- my sophomore year of high school, I realized that because I was in a computer science program and there was only four girls in the class out of 40 people. Hmm. And I was the only Latina hmm. in my class. And I realized, like, what the fuck? Why am I the only Latina in here? Hmm. And, you know, it, it didn't intimidate me. You know, it actually made me more invested in proving myself that I could do it. And that not that I wasn't able to do it, but just kind of showing my grounding in the class that I wasn't just somebody to not notice. Um, and so we were assigned a project to create a fake club that we would want to see in the school. So all the girls got together and we created this fake club because we had to basically like code this program and like pretend to make like this website and like what our fake club would be and like all this computer science stuff. So we made this fake club and it was all the girls in the class and we all happened to be girls of color. Mm. Um, um, and we made this club about um, equity versus equality, and we broke it down about the differences between equity versus equality, and what we believed in was a lot of people are taught equality, but they don't know about equity, and that's more important than equality in the end. And so we created, like, how we would want to, like, reach out to the school and what we want to talk about in these meetings, and basically... This club we created was a safe space for people of color at our high school that could talk about problems or things they were going through in school or at home and how they could create a solution. So we had pathways at our school, and because we noticed we were the only girls and all the other boys were white, and mostly in the class that we were like, there's a problem with this program that we're the first year and there's only like four girls and we happen to be people of color, but it's still not enough. There's not boys of color, you know, there's not a diversity of students. And so there was another program called Paidea, which was um, a prestigious, as I say, um, history and English class. And it happened to only be white people too. and you could kind of tell they didn't really encourage people of color, predominantly black and Latino students. And there was an engineering program was the same as that. And so we kind of noticed in all these pathways, you didn't have to be in a pathway, but if you did, you were mostly in health or fashion. That's where mm. all the students of color were. They okay. weren't in the ones that were engineering, paideia, and computer science. And we were kind of like, why not? You know, it's not that the classes are hard. They're, it's high school. 
It's just that those students weren't, I guess, being shown, like, the opportunities in those courses the same way as the white students were given and so we created that club for people to come to share their experiences and share their issues about the issues within our school and then we ended up creating it into an actual club our junior year and we would actually like made this a reality and um wait you created a club yeah we actually created that club in the end because our teacher was like this is such a great fake club you created you might as well create it an actual club (laughs) so the assistant principal was like yes you need to do this because he was a latino and we did that and um i lost touch with a lot of the girls that were in my group so they ended up kind of running the club more than i got to do but i definitely was there to start help that foundation and kind of create what they were finishing i i would say um so we it was just kind of crazy to think about that that like in high school I created this club that was, like, going against, like... The grain. The grain, exactly. And it was just kind of a space for you to talk about the realities of being a person of color in the education system and in everyday life. And Basically, yeah. you saw a gap. You saw a gap uh, that was needed for people of color because mm-hmm. it wasn't there. You made it happen. Yeah, basically. I did make that happen. And it's just crazy to think about because, like, it's not something I think of. Uh, immediately when because there's actually a lot of stuff I've done for my community and for my school but that I think was like the moment that I realized that I was like I'm fed up with this way the society is like what can I do to start changing it and start helping people realize that there needs to be change Hmm, that's powerful one thing I always like to reiterate and I always uh, always this is my phrase I, I repeat over and over again and I always say there is no revolution without the woman. And, you know, you have these, I don't want to speak bad about anybody, but <laughs> since the 1960s, we've had this woman empowerment or quote unquote woman empowerment. But for me, this is the empowerment. This is what it's all about right here. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, because a lot of the white women have hijacked that or they almost created that concept. Right. Mm-hmm. And. But when they hijacked or when they created that concept of feminism, it more or less it was to uplift them. Mm-hmm. While black and quote unquote Latin women or indigenous women, they were what happened? What happened to them? Yeah, exactly. They get shut in the shadows. Yes. Yeah. So mm-hmm. was that feminism really for all women, or was it for exactly. a certain woman? Mm-hmm. I definitely agree with that. I think as a feminist, like that's something I really try to bring light to is because constantly like you'll have a space where women of color are doing something amazing and then a white woman will come in and literally take all that fame and she'll get farther than you are because she's a white woman Mm. and she has privilege because she is white you know like she does have struggles being a woman but uh, she's still white and so she does have those privileges over just being a woman of color Mm. and so Thankfully, nobody in the group, we didn't have that problem, but it's like to do that was definitely probably mind blowing to a lot of people like at the time, like, whoa, they're actually like going to go through with this. Like they're really, really about standing up for what they believe in. And I think I think that's the thing about, I think, that kind of side of feminism is that I'm not going to say that certain women are better than the other but it's it's intimidation and it's kind of Mm. just like the fact that society has pitted women against each other a lot and so when you have these great things happening and that white woman steps in no she might not go into it thinking like 
yeah, I'm better than you and I'm going to do this better. But it's like she doesn't realize that she is actually doing that by not giving you the same light and the same, like, I guess, platform that she has or like bringing you up with on mm. the platform with her. Because like in my mind, if I had that privilege of getting all the attention, I would bring everybody that was part of it with me because I'm not going to try to take the fame from somebody that doesn't deserve that you know and I think that's a lot of the issues of the white feminist women is they don't realize that they they are oblivious to their privilege and when you try to show them to it they want to play the victim card they want to kind of be like oh well that's not that wasn't my intention and it's like okay it wasn't your intention but the fact that you didn't realize it was some part your intention because if you're going to be a feminist well, that's what they say but you know exactly you know, that, you know that's just, uh, yeah that's yeah you know lie. that they, they're really just like okay yeah yeah, yeah. They ain't stupid. they're not stupid <laughs> exactly they're not stupid because they have that privilege of being educated and having access to certain things and so it's kind of just like i think feminists in general need to work harder to kind of make that distinction of what feminism really stands for and you know it's not just I think a lot of people also are like, feminism's only pro-women. It's like, no, it's just the quality of life, no matter who you are, no matter what gender. I mean, gender in general is just kind of something that's also ignorant in itself. But, yeah, I don't know. I don't want to get too sidetracked, but yeah, like definitely that whole part of feminism. I I guess the reason I just mentioned that is because this is what it's all about. This is what woman empowerment is, is you realize that there are disenfranchised, our people, our people suffering, and you realize, as a woman, I have the voice to help make a change. Yeah. That's power. That's power. Yeah, definitely. Um, so right now, you are going to, you're in school. Yeah, so um, I am a third year in college. Um, my first year of college, I went to a CSU in San Bernardino Valley, Northridge. I went to Northridge. And then it wasn't for me out there. I really didn't like it. I was a business major, and that wasn't for me either. I needed a challenge. So I came back home, and um, I went to Merritt. I have classes in Peralta College, and I'm a plant biology major. So I changed from business to science because I... In this year at Northridge, I went through a lot of mental health issues, um, and I was just kind of learning about myself. I was really isolated, and I realized what could be a major that's challenging, that's going to be interesting, that's something I'm good at, that's something that's going to play out in the long run. And I like to have a plan. I'm a very like plan organized oriented person. So I'm like no, I need, I'm noticed. <laughs> yeah. So like I need the follow through, whether it goes that way or not. I still need it. Yeah. Um, so. I decided, well, I got all A's in my science classes all of my time in high school. (laughs) That's hard. (laughs) Um, All my science teachers loved me. They all told me that I was really good at science. Um, My physics teacher was one of my mentors, and he constantly encouraged me to go into science and go into that industry to prove that I was a woman of color, I was a woman, and that I was smart as hell and that I could do that job really good. So I kind of realized, I was like, you know what, I need to stop ignoring all this advice that people are giving me and trying to figure it out myself. I'm just going to listen. And um, so when I went back home, I told my my counselor, and I was like, I want to be a plant biology major, and I want to transfer to UC Davis in two years. Tell me what classes I need to take right now. 
attempt, and that's what we did. And so now I'm on track to um, go to UC Davis. I'm trying to transfer this fall. Um, so, yeah. What exactly would you do with that type of degree, plant biology? Um, so the reason I want to be a plant biology major is because I want to open a cannabis business. Um, and I want to open a cannabis business that is pro-people of color, owned by a person of color, only people of color oriented. I love it. For the reason I that we live in a society that has now legalized and white people are making a shit ton of money off they of this are. product that brown and black people are incarcerated for, mm. killed for, and constantly looked down upon every day. And so my thing is like, if I can reclaim an industry or just a job like for, for one thing, like that's what I'm going to do. And so... I chose, instead of being the business major, I wanted to be the scientist because I wanted to prove that I'm smart and that I know what I'm doing and that I'm a, basically just like going to do something amazing because I have the head on my body to do so. So I was just like, I'm going to challenge myself to be a plant biologist and see where that takes me. With cannabis industry, I'm also going to look into just looking at how to save the climate because you can restore plants and nature and all these different things across the world. Also looking at what interests me is like going to South America or Mexico to study um, like plants that um, indigenous women use to heal people and kind of just incorporating that into my life and potentially my business and just like kind of just uplifting people of color in the world that are constantly like I guess afraid to do something to kind of just being like there's no time for waiting anymore like nobody's gonna like give us their hand and be like come with me like we have to do it ourselves so I think that was where I was like you know I'm just gonna do this and it's going to be really fun, and I love cannabis. I think it's a great plant that has been criminalized for so many wrong yeah. reasons. Yeah, yeah, I agree with you. There's a lot of our, um, I mean, there was a guy, I think, in Louisiana who had a joint, and he got sentenced to, like, 42 years in prison. Yeah, I know. So, yeah, we definitely know it exists. But I wanted to hit what you just mentioned before about the climate. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you mentioned indigenous. Mm-hmm. I got to hit it. Yeah. Were the indigenous ruining the environment? They were not ruining the environment. They were the only ones taking care of it. And it's like, why? It's like, I saw this post on Twitter and it was like some like state in the United States or like another country, I don't know. They were like, banana leaves are a new form of like plates. And I was like, are you freaking kidding me? Because our ancestors literally have been doing that and encouraging that for years and trying to tell the white man to freaking pay attention to the place they live on. You know, you didn't create it. We were fortunate enough to be able to live here, but, like, it's just, like, indigenous people were so ahead of their time, and they get so discredited. It's, like, my job to really make people remember that we were here once because we've been killed off really, really largely. Sure. So, you know, we might have these, you know, wearing pants or wearing a T-shirt, right? Yeah. And and uh, and But that doesn't change the fact of our, our DNA. Exactly. Right? We still have native blood in us. Mm-hmm. We still... We're still indigenous. It doesn't matter if we live in the city. doesn't matter how we're dressed. Yeah. See, the misconception or a big misconception is indigenous peoples, they have to live in a jungle. Mm-hmm. Right or wrong? That's definitely right. Like, <laughs> right? You talk to like... like naked. Yeah, and... naked with the, with a little robe that's just yeah. covering these private parts. Literally. Right? Um, but that's definitely not the case. No, not at all. And I think being like an indigenous woman, I constantly feel like my ancestors like... I don't know, like, spirit and, like, just power running through me and constantly, like, surrounding me and encouraging me. And I think a lot of people don't realize that they're indigenous because of, like, all these labels and all these things that have been created. And it's like, dude, if we came from the people that were living here first, you're indigenous. Like, 
come on now. Like, we know the way that the history really is. Like, at least I hope a lot of people know the way history really is. It's not just the white man's history. It's like the white man was obsessed with needing to be first, that they destroyed everything our ancestors did. Mm. And so that's one of my biggest thing is reclaiming what we've been stripped of constantly. You know, they, they, we know that they went into our temples and our, our versions of libraries and safe spaces of where we did our education. And they burned everything we created. You know, mm. they burned everything we did because that scared the shit out of them that they didn't do it first mm. and that they didn't have the capacity to think about the things and the, the thoughts we were having and that's why they envied us and that's why they killed us i mean at the end of the day i know that and i don't need to read anything to know that you know i can just feel it like you said in my dna it's that, kind of like it's in your soul right yeah it's in your yeah. soul definitely and then i think the more you start realizing it the like a heavy the heavier it gets like and eventually you know like it's in all of you now and so i think that's something that i just like that's a feature that i hope people can realize like all indigenous people because I know that there's a lot of internal racism within my own family, within my own community that I see, and it, it makes me really sad, but it's it has to start somewhere, and I think that's why education is so important. Sure. Yeah, uh, it does require a lot of teaching mm-hmm. and uh, education. Do um, you know, but you just... <laughs> Have you have you ever been to Mexico? I have many have. times. And so have you experienced the the anti-indigenous mm-hmm. what I call it? I guess feeling? Yes, definitely. I think you know when I go to Mexico, I don't typically, I guess, people tip, okay, I guess what people tell me is that I don't look like a typical Mexican. Um, I, I guess a lot of people don't know what I look like. So when I go to Mexico, they don't think I'm Mexican either. So I kind of have like that third perspective of like what's happening in Mexico, you know, like I'm not looked at as the Mexican, but I'm not looked at as the indigenous. I'm just looked at as an outsider. So I get to see that, like the way that the society is kind of happening and you definitely notice that, you know, there's colorism in all other cultures and indigenous people happen to be darker, which is not, nothing wrong with that. That means more melanin, which means you're going to probably live longer. You 100%. know, that's good for your skin. And so you, that's really prominent. I think Prex has a lot of problems on top of like the way they treat women and the way they treat just a lot of things in society. Mexico is different, but it's very obvious to see um like the classes in Mexico and kind of just like how they treat people and definitely I think going to different parts of Mexico like I don't know if you've been to Valle de Guadalupe it's like wine country I haven't like you can notice that like the servants compared to the people that are at the front of the winery um thank you yeah, so like the people at the front of the winery are always different than people in the back, even though you know you're in Mexico, so you know they're all Mexican, but it's like, okay, why are those people like being treated differently than the people in the front when I thought the part of being Mexico is that everybody's Mexican and it's going to be fun, you know? And it's like, no, it's not really like that. Mm. So I think also realizing that there's colorism in all different cultures. But where did that come from? What do you think that came from? I think that came from the white man, obviously, like creating that dark skin is bad. And it's like, so all, all cultures think that dark skin is bad. And it's like, in my eyes, dark skin is better because that means like Definitely. you're embracing the sun, which is like one of our power plants for this planet. Sure. And why would I want to be lighter? I would mm. want to be darker. I want to embrace all the natural features that I have because that's beautiful to me, you yeah. know? I would say the only advantage, at least in this country, if you are, you know, I'm not, I'm not the darkest, mm-hmm. but the, I would say the advantage that I have is that 
I use if I am lighter if one if someone is light skin, you use that advantage to help people that are darker skin Definitely. that are typically treated worse in this country and the rest of quote unquote Latin America. Mm-hmm. Um, you use what you have to to fight and to uh, to stand up for those who can't stand up. Yeah, I definitely agree. I think the fact that I don't also look like a typical whatever Mexican woman looks like, that has also kind of helped me kind of make people realize, well, what is, why is their standard of what you have to look like? Or why is their standard of what we consider indigenous, you know? Um, and I think that's... Oh, wait, wait. Repeat that. I guess that needs like, to be repeated. Why is there a standard of looking indigenous in my mind? You know, there, there isn't a standard to look anyway. And I think our society is obsessed with labels. Mm. And I think that's one way I try to really live my life is not like obsessed over the labels and the things that people say, because like that's not what matters in life. And mm. I think that's one reason why our ancestors cared about the environment, because they realized there was more things to life than the little the little things that mm. go on mm. and the little things people say and the little things people try to do. And so that's not what it's about. You know, when you when you get to the end of your life, whenever that is let's say you're 90 like you're gonna look back and you're not gonna remember all that little bullshit you're gonna look back and be like what did I do in my life where did I go what memories did I make and how did I did I live my life being who I wanted to be and a lot of people don't live their life being who they wanted to be because they didn't embrace things that our society has made taboo and so I think me realizing that I was indigenous from an early age is going to make me live my best life Mm. for the future Mm. but a lot of people don't have that privilege why is that important to you? Because it, it's... Does it have to do with identity? I, I Why is that important to you? I don't think it has to do necessarily with identity. I think it's important to me because on the inside, it makes me feel good. Mm. Like, on the inside, knowing that I'm being true to my, like, fullest potential self makes me feel good about it because I think... I think I learned being as only child, it's not about impressing anybody else. It's about imp- impressing myself and mm. constantly outdoing myself. And so I think for me, it's just like how I feel inside and just how I can radiate how I feel inside to others. So it's, I guess it kind of does with identity, but I guess like it's identity without labels because it's just like the way I want myself to perceive myself. And then I'm hoping that that goes how other people perceive me as like this person that's just really embracing who she truly is and not like keeping the labels that we're constantly given. Hmm. Hmm. So yeah, that's... As I get older, I realize that, um, like you mentioned earlier, like loving yourself, um, being happy with who you are has a lot to do with our growth, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, definitely. I think going through the mental health things that I went through my first year of college, I realized that. And it was kind of like, it was kind of like when you go through like a dark place in your life and you're kind of like... I guess you know that it's not going to end, but you just feel like, where's my life going from here? You kind of, you make that transition. Like, you look back and you're like, what was important to me? Mm. And when you do that at a young age and you, you have that ability to do that, I think that I was able to benefit from it. And I was able to realize all the things that I did in that short time when I was 18, the things that I didn't like. I needed to make sure they didn't continue to happen into my adulthood. Because then my adulthood is what really, really mattered because that's going to make me who I am when I eventually start my business or my family or whatever it is, you know? 
And so I realized at that point, I didn't like a lot of the ways or a lot of the things that were happening in my life. And so I really, I really, I'm trying to remember what my grandma specifically said, but she said something to me about being happy. And she was like, you know, there's, there's no point in doing what you do if you're not happy with it. And so grandmas always have those like, they always have those, those like comments, you know know. what I mean? Like those phrases that just hit us. That just like hit you and you're like, oh my God. And so I think when she told me that, I was just kind of like, you're right. Like what, what do I need to do in my life that makes me happy? Regardless, I know I was like at that time where I was like, I just moved out the house. So I was like, am I still trying to please my parents or I'm still trying to please whoever I'm trying to please myself. Mm. And when she said like, you need to be happy. I was like, okay, who is most important for my life? Me. And if I'm not happy and if I'm not doing what's best for me and it's my life, then it's not going to matter what other people think because I'm not living my life to impress somebody else or live up to somebody else's standard if it's not my own, you know? And I think a lot of people don't realize that, that it's like your life isn't anybody else's but yours. So you have to live it the way you want to live it. And I think it's hard when, you know, people depend on you or like when people expect something from you. But you also have to realize if those people love you, they're going to they're gonna be open to change. Mm. And I think when I was making that transition, I had a lot of fear to disappoint my parents because I was an only child. But I realized, I was like, I'm the only one. So if I mess up, they're still going to love me. It's not going to, like, you know, it's yeah. not going to be the end of the world. Even if they had other ones, even they would still they love you. Had, yeah, they would exactly. Still love you. Like, even if there was multiple, they're still going to love me. So I was like, you know what? stop beating yourself up and I kind of learned how to take that pressure off my shoulder because I being just like constantly being in your head and being with your thoughts you put a lot of pressure on yourself and you tend to constantly over pressure yourself and then you make things bigger or more dramatic than they are when they don't need to be and so all those things were kind of happening at the same time and I was able to kind of have that click that when I came back home I was going to start living my life the best way that made me happy, even if it didn't make anybody else happy, because that didn't matter. It, it only mattered about me, and you know, but at the lo- as long as you're not hurting or harming anybody, then that's the best way to live your life. Because like, the part of loving yourself is you learn how to love others, and you learn how to appreciate others, and you learn how to like, let different people's experiences in that will eventually add to your experience as a person. And so I think when you don't love yourself, you, you're you really, like, hateful to other people. And I think that's why we have such a hateful society. Because mm. people might, they're like, yeah, I love myself. Like, yeah, I'm empowered. But they're really not. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's definitely why our society is so hateful in the way it is, you know? Because there isn't enough love in this world. And that's why we don't take care of it either. So because there is so much hate... <clears throat> So much discrimination against, uh, specifically against people of color. Yes, for sure. What do we do? What do we do? We're both people of color. What do we do? I think the best thing for us to do for somebody that has seen the way I look at life and the way I look at history is history repeats itself. We've seen through generations and generations that history's happen keeps repeating itself. And every time it repeats itself, you're hoping that it'll change. So the next time it repeats itself, it changes again. But the thing about our society is it keeps repeating itself and there's no change. Mm. So it's just repeating and repeating and repeating and repeating. And we're like, 
every time we're like, okay, we're going to do different, and we don't. Okay, we're going to do different, don't. And so I think at this point... You know, that's the definition of insanity. Exactly. So I'm like, at this point, we need to really get our shit together, and people need to wake up and be like, okay, what can we do this time so that when we... It's not going to keep repeating this same way. And so when I think of what people of color can do immediately is literally just invest... Um, come together and unite in a way that is just kind of like, I think, embracing everybody regardless of what you've been told or like forced upon and kind of which will follow like being educated on the truth about our history. You know, a lot of the times we're not told the truth. We're told what the white man wants us to think about ourselves, which is self-hatred. And we need to take that hatred out from ourselves and instead put love in for ourselves. You know, we don't have to give it to everybody because not everybody deserves your love. And I think as people of color, we keep thinking that the only way we're going to get what we want is by is by making everybody feel good. Hmm. We don't need to make everybody feel good. <laughs> like, again, self-love. Yeah, yeah. We need to love our own right, first. Right. Because once we start loving our own, then we're going to start... People will see that, oh, these people... They're not, they're not hating on each other. They're not against each other. They're uplifting each other, and they're coming together. And that's really empowering. You know, mm. when you come together and you, you share that love and that positivity that we're going to stick through it no matter what, that is when we're going to finally, when the next generation comes, there won't be repeating again. You know, it'll finally, people will wake up, hopefully, and be like, we've got our shit together. What's next? What's now, next? So we're in Oakland. Yes. You live in Oakland. Yes. This is the birthplace of the Black Panthers. Yes, I'm aware. Were you influenced at all by them? I definitely was influenced by the Black Panther movement. I actually remember growing up when I learned about it, I was like, I was like, this is so amazing. This is crazy. I need to find out about the Latino people that were doing this. (laughs) You know? So I was like, because, you know, the thing about living in America is, I'm all for people of color and everything, but we live in a black and white society. America is, it's only white people, only black people. And so as much as I stand up for African-Americans because they have been stripped of so many rights, there's also people that are are in between that area of white and black. And we constantly get forgotten. Oh, yeah. And growing up in your history textbooks, I remember I had one history teacher in eighth grade, and he was like, I'm not going to use the textbook that's a sign. I'm going to have you guys order this Howard Zinn book. And I know people will have, like, issues with Howard Zinn, but it was basically, like, this 1,000-page book that talked about, like, multicultural history. And he was making eighth graders read this. And he was, like, having us do presentations on it and discussions. And, like, he taught us about the war on drugs. And, like, we're in eighth grade. And so he kind of, like, at that young age, I was kind of like, this is crazy that... They're, te- they're like, like teaching us this. So then that was kind of the marking point that when I got to high school, I was like, I, if my teachers aren't teaching me what I want to be learning, I'm going to go do it myself because I got to figure it out somewhere. And I knew I couldn't keep reading this white textbook written by a white man that doesn't know shit about, you know, what happened. And so when I found out about, like, about the Black Panther movement, Growing up in Oakland, that's has a very large African American community. Like the Black Panther movement was like always looked at as a positive, like and a great thing. You know, like it was never looked down upon here. And I think that's kind of why I have also become the way I'm. Like they're very accepting and like empowering to being a person of color and like embracing who you are. And 
So I was like, just like so intrigued by that the Black Panther movement was doing that. And I actually, my mom's friend lives in one of the houses that they used to have meetings in that was actually like shot up at. Like the whole house had to be redone because that was one of the houses they invaded when they invaded the Black Panther movement. The the, the government, the mm -hmm. FBI. Wow. Yeah, so like that house, being in that house was crazy because you're like, you could just like, you well, could you, just well, you know, you know, you're doing something right if the government's trying exactly. to shoot you up. <laughs> That's exactly right. Exactly. So like, it was just crazy, like being at this young age, just knowing that, being in this house, and knowing about the Black Panther movement, all these things. That when I got to my junior year, I did like a summer camp from like sophomore to junior year, and it was this called CLYP. And it was like a, um, a Latino, Chicano, like summer camp that taught you about your ancestry, that taught you about the politics and how to like stand, know your rights as a Latino and as a person of color, know your actual history and, um, and then what to do next about that. And so like after being in that, um, that was also another like tipping point for me that I was finally like was given the access to like be really educated on about my people and really educated about the realities of life and really educated on the laws and like how to stand your ground and how to not be intimidated by all the big words that like white people try to use that they think we don't know um and from there that encouraged me to kind of also just look at the Black Panther movement and look at other movements. I know, I, I don't remember the name, but there was like one in Chicago or Detroit. Um, the other groups? Yeah, uh, you have like, the Young Lords. Yeah, the Young Lords. So then. Um, they were another revolutionary group. Exactly. Um, the Brown Berets. The Brown Berets, I know that for sure. Um, yeah, there were some of the, those. Some of the but yeah, ones. so like from the Black Panther movement, that just kind of opened my eyes to other things. And then this camp kind of opened my eyes to more. And it was just kind of like. It was just kind of like, kind of kept getting, like a, a new step was being taken, and I don't, I don't think it would have happened the way it did if it wasn't for me being so intrigued and like being so like encouraged from the Black Panther movement. Because what the Black Panther movement did was like, it was revolutionary. It was truly revolutionary, and it was truly like the like mold and like model of what they did and what to learn from it for the next revolution because. You know, you know you're doing a revolution good when the white man is scared the hell right. out of you, right. and they were freaking terrified of the Black oh, Panther yeah. movement. Oh yeah. And you know, when people look at that, they're like, "Oh, that's a bad thing. That's a bad thing." And you know, when you're a revolutionist, you're like, "That's a great thing. That's exactly what I'm trying to do." And so I think from the Black Panther movement, there's a lot of things to learn for the next revolution. But I think they did an incredible thing that needed to happen for the next generation. Like as I said, to not they repeat definitely created itself. like a blueprint. They created the blueprint perfectly and on help of all the other movements going on in the civil rights time because there was a lot of other oh, yeah. a lot of other stuff going on. But they definitely were the most like talked about, you know, they're the most highlighted about during that civil rights time on top of Cesar Chavez, what he did for the farm workers, um, which is also an inspiration. But yeah, like what the Black Panthers did and what they were aiming for was just was just it was great. And I think we have a lot to learn from it, but we need to start paying attention to it, you know? And in other parts of the United States, they need to know that it was a positive thing, that it wasn't a black, or it wasn't a bad thing because like they label black people to be like, you know, anti-government and all this stuff when they try to do something again, like the Black Panther movement. And it's like, 
that you know that's not what they were doing. So stop trying to put that label upon them because that's not what they were doing. It was about extremist. Exactly, and it's like, <laughs> it's like the only extremist in the room is the white man. <laughs> <laughs> what does revolution mean to you? I think revolution to me means radical change for sure. It definitely means like something completely being changed in front of your eyes that's like you couldn't imagine but it's for the good and it's for the benefit of in my mind people of color um there can be revolutionary and different things but i think in the end of the day we've lived in this world too long for people of color to not have the revolution they need to take in all platforms of the world you know not just the united states um but, like, when I imagine revolution, I just imagine, like, thousands of, or millions of people, because we have a billion people on this planet, so millions, billions of people just coming together and, like, being able to accept each other and, like, support each other and, like, really just become a big old family mm. and, like, really just be, like, down for each other as long as you guys, like, are on the same, like, equity mindset. And you know, and you're not you're not in it for the bad reasons, um, and that'll be the change of when people start getting their rights back, the environment starts getting its rights back. You know, humans, the uh, food industry, like every single thing. You know, like every single thing will be revolutionized once the revolution of people get their shit together. Mm. And we need to get it together though, because we can't. You know, with with social media nowadays, people are like, yeah, like that they, you know, they post something and they're like, yeah, I'm an activist, like I'm a revolutionist. Like you're not shit because you're in bed <laughs> tweeting this. Get your ass up, like do something. <laughs> so <laughs> it's it, it's funny you mention that. It's like because I feel like there's some Instagram accounts, you know, um, these social activist accounts, yeah. and they have like ten. 15, 20, some 50,000 followers. Yep. Okay? I've reached out to some of these accounts. I don't know if I told you this. I reached Mm -hmm. out to some of these accounts. And I was like, hey, private message to them. I said, hey. uh, Because some of them are in California. Mm -hmm. So so they're not too far from here. Yeah, yeah. And I say, hey, you know, do you guys, are you guys organizing? Do you guys have any groups? Are you you meeting up? You doing anything? Guess what they told me? No. Nothing. No, we're not doing anything. Yeah. So what's the point of having a, a page of 15, 20,000 followers? If you're not doing shit with that. If you're just sitting on your phone doing it. <laughs> That's what baffles me, too, about this society. Is like We think that what we post is doing so much, when in reality, like... Nothing like we. What ha, What was society doing before phones? They were getting their asses up and going to physically do it. There it is. This right here, what we're doing right now. We decided to say, okay, let's do something. Yeah, exactly. Let's get a voice out. Let's get a message out. Right. Let's let's start gathering other people because when it becomes real life, this is real life now. Mm-hmm. Not that, that Instagram isn't real life, but you know that's just yeah. a, a media. A that's device. just a yeah. Once it becomes real like this, that's when change happens. Definitely. And in my mind, I also, as much as I use Instagram, it's also a distraction. It's a distraction that 
our society has made people think that because I can go tweet something and 50,000 people like it, that I did something or that I'm a revolutionist, when in reality, if you didn't get your ass up and get those people together, you didn't really do anything. And so, like, that's one thing I also want to work on as, like, I am, like, our society is just... We need to get our asses up. We need to get up and go outside and do something mm. because when we just talk about it on our phone, it's not doing shit. Like, right. yeah, it's there. It's there for 24 hours and then what? And then it's forgotten. Yeah. But when you get up and you go do something and you really make that impact, you know, it's not deleted in 24 hours. It's in here forever. Mm. Yeah. And you always remember it in your head forever because you physically did that and you physically show people that you did that and you were really... You were really about what you're saying. And I feel like the thing is, is our society is like, people are really fake. They're really fake into thinking that their limited actions is big actions when it's like, no, you got to do, you got to do more. I think our, it's just like, it's kind of being lazy in a sense of like, you, you can never, you can never like do enough. And I think that go that goes back to my point of always out you always want to outdo yourself so what can you be doing next time like from here what can we both do next time to do something better do something bigger like do something more impactful you know that's constantly how you should live your life and it's like why would i think posting this on instagram is gonna be oh my god like crazy like it's gonna change our world and the way society is like no what's gonna change is me getting my ass up and going doing something about it (laughs) Uh, johnny Final thought. Uh, final thought of the of the podcast. Um, I think my final thought would just be: get educated. Don't believe everything you read on the internet. Um, get up, get up, go outside, get some sunshine, embrace the beautiful sunshine, and embrace our planet that we live on while it's still here. Hopefully, we don't ruin it. And I think. Start having conversations with people about these kind of topics and about these things, whether they agree with you or not. It's good to start being bringing up the conversation. I think our society is so obsessed with looking at our phones, we don't talk to each other. Mm. And we need to start having this conversation out loud so people around you can start hearing and people around you can start thinking. Because when you go to bed at night, you think about what you talked about, not what you did on your phone. So do that instead of following everybody in society be the outcast even if you told think it's bad it's going to be better for you in the long run amazing thought to end on thank you ajani <laughs> it was a pleasure having you thank and you uh, yeah yeah it was very very insightful yes this was fun <laughs> <laughs> revolutionary sister here till next time <laughs>